Let's, let's look at the Gospel of Matthew, finish the last section. Um, the section previously, uh, we talked about getting a life and then doing something with it. And that's what we each need to do. We need to be faithful and wise servants that God has given to us each different jobs, different gifts, different talents, resources. And we need to be faithful with what he's given to us. Because he may return at any moment. And it's best to be caught in the act of serving, right? It's best to be caught in the act of doing what we're supposed to be doing, what he's gifted us to do, than something maybe we shouldn't be doing. The master will return, and we need to make sure that we're ready and have the oil in our lamps and be born of the Spirit and uh, truly know him, as Jesus said. I want to hear, I don't know about you, but I want to hear when when I stand before him, I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear those words. And that's a choice that you and I make to, to use what he's given to each one of us. To have more to show for our lives, as I, uh, as I uh, quoted, than a hole in the ground where we buried our treasures. Our talents, I'm sorry. So, do something. Get busy. How much time do we have? We don't know how much time we have. Now, this is the last section, the final section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount of Olives. Not the Sermon on the Mount, but the Sermon on the Mount of Olives, the Olivet Discourse, they call it. It's the last teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. And really, what is it about? It's about being a sheep or a goat. And you know what? There is a very big difference between sheep and goats. I just want to assure you of that. You know that, right? A sheep, can you picture it in your mind? And a goat. I'm not trying to get you to do visualization techniques or anything like that. I just want you to think for a moment about a sheep and a goat. They're very different. But it's evidenced, and the fruit of being these two differences, one, by how we live, and secondly, by where we will spend eternity being a sheep or a goat. Let's look at verse 31. It says, when. Notice it says, when, Jesus teaching. The Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him. He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. It's not if He's going to return, but when. It's, a, it's, it's something that is definite for sure because He keeps His word. He's faithful to His word. He says, when he returns, when he comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he's going to sit on that throne in heavenly glory. I, I just have to stop there, and I, and I look at that verse, and what a picture that is. The Son in his glory on his throne. It says in uh, Matthew 16, it says that the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. We see he comes here. In His glory. Of course, we know and, and we understand the, the truth about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But to see Him sitting there on the throne in heavenly glory, what, what choice, what will we do at that moment in time to see Him but to worship Him and to bow, to fall before Him? This is, this is the heart of, of the gospel, that we would fall before the Son of God, that we would believe and trust in Him because of what He has done for us, that our hearts would, would simply surrender completely. 
But you know what? We need to do that. The difference between the sheep and the goat is that we do that here and we do that now in this life, not sitting before him then. We will do it then. Everyone will, because when everyone sees him, doesn't matter who you are, every man, woman, and child sees him in that position of glory, there, there will be no choice but to fall down and worship and bow the knee to him. But we'll see he has a separation that takes place, a, an accounting that takes place. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a vision and he says this, In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and he was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. And all peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. We better reckon with this Jesus. We need to reckon with him. We need to decide what we're going to do with him. We're going to trust in him or not. Because his kingdom will never pass away. His dominion will never pass away. His kingdom will never be destroyed. It's all about Jesus for you and for me, the, the human race. What he came to do and who he is. And do we trust in him? Verse 32 says, All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. This day of reckoning, it will come. It certainly will come. It will come for each and every person. We'll all be gathered before him at one point or another. Are are we ready for that? And, And again, this is the last teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's all about being ready and, and that, that, that we're going we're gonna to stand before Him. All the nations. But notice it says there He's going to separate the people one from another. Did you see that? One from another. So it's all about nations are all there, but, but it, it's not just about nations being judged. It's about individuals. It gets down to the one. It gets down to me and to you. Each one of us, individuals, one from another. And it says he's going to put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. That time will come. Way back in Matthew chapter 13, we talked, you know, they they talked about the the weeds and the wheat. And you remember the weeds and the wheat were all growing together. And one said, let's go ahead and and pull up the weeds. And and what did did, uh, he say? He says, no, don't pull up the weeds until the harvest. Because then you might damage some of the wheat. But now we see in this, in this teaching here, this passage here, the time has come. Am I a sheep or am I a goat? The shepherd knows. The shepherd knows. We might fool people around us, but the shepherd knows. The king knows. Look at verse 34. It says, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. That's what he says to those on his right, those who are the sheep. The sheep on his right, the goats on his left. He says to the, those on his right, the sheep, he says that 
the first thing he says to them is come. It's, a, it's, it's enter in. We're going to compare in this passage between the sheep and the goats what he says to those that are sheep, what he says to, to those that are goats. The, the sheep, the first thing he says is come and enter into the presence to be with him forever. In, in Jesus' prayer in John 17, he said, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you love me before the creation of the world. The, 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 the heart of Jesus was that, that his disciples would be with him. That's what his heart has always been. That's what the heart of God the Father is. That's why he sent his son, so that we could be with him. And he would say, come and, and join me. Come and enter in. Come and be a part of this fellowship of eternity in heaven. The second thing he says there is, is you who are blessed by my Father. You who are blessed. Paul says in Ephesians 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What else does it say there? He says, take your inheritance. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. We've got an inheritance waiting for us. An inheritance. You know, I was just spending time with my family, and, and you know what? There's nothing there. My mom and my dad, they joke about it. You know, well, we had this, this uh, you know, birthday party when she was 80, and they spent money to fly everybody in. And says, you know, my dad says, you know, when they get to the point they're reading the will and you wonder where all the money went, just think back about that party we had, is what he said. I said, is that all you had? No, I didn't say that. But I was thinking it. The inheritance, you know, we've we got to wait till the reading of the will, though. And when we stand there, what an inheritance it is. Not, not like money, not like the things of this world, you know. Uh, as I mentioned, my, you know, my, my brother passed away, and I went, uh, when I, Paul and I went back home to help kind of get things, you know, sorted out. And, and uh, we went to his house, and he had a, uh, a trailer in a, in a trailer uh, mobile home park and you know so our job and his son came down he had one son and and we all just went there and and uh, and cleared the place out you know and in a matter of of you know five or six hours it was all gone it was nothing left and we took some of it to the to the dump and we took some of it he took some of it with him and and some of it to the to the salvation army What's left? There was nothing left. No inheritance. In this life, if that's all we're waiting for, most of us can, you know, keep waiting. It's good luck. But the inheritance, the kingdom that's been prepared for us from the foundation of the world, from, since the creation of the world. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I don't know about you. I, I know that there, you know, is more than what we see, hear, feel, and touch than this life. That what he has prepared for you and for me. And when he reads the will, 
It's all there for us. So, the sheep on his right, the goats on his left, the sheep, he says he's got these things. He asks them to come in, to enter. You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you. And then we come to verse 35 and verse 36. And we read these verses, and let's read them. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. What is this here? What is he talking about here? He's talking about the evidence of a sheep's life. Simple evidence of a sheep's life. Now I want to make it very clear because people can read these passages and, and this passage here and, and kind of get um, mixed up and confused thinking that, that we are saved and we become a sheep because we do those works, right? Because I do all those things. That's why he's going to invite me in. But that's not it at all. We're not saved by works, but works are proof of our faith and our love for Jesus. I want you to turn with me because this, this passage really sums it all up. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Many of you have memorized verses 8 and 9, but I want you also to see verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians. And I did remember the Lord's Prayer, by the way. I just want you to know that it only spaced out for a very short time. Things do happen when you get older, though, you know. Things do happen. There's a pastor, a couple of pastors that are having, Calvary pastors that are having, you know, severe uh, problems. Uh, a couple of them actually get into the pulpit and... And uh, one of them uh, will, will give part of his sermon, message, and then repeat it and give it again. Same message, same part of the message. Don't know why they, they don't know why that's happening. Another one, uh, uh, Raul Reese, who you've heard of, um, you know, he, he was in Vietnam and, and uh, you know, some very serious things happened to him there. And then he also was involved in, in a kind of a... Um, jiu-jitsu kind of thing and it was one where they would actually hit in the head kind of thing and uh, he, he will get up into the pulpit and, and for like a minute at a time he, he won't know what's what's happening you know that's why I say I'm looking forward to the next life because this life is not getting better it's getting worse this, these are people who have, have given their lives completely and totally to follow Jesus to serve him and, and they've given their lives totally to do that but yet we're still there's effects of things in this life that affect each one of us Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. We've been saved by grace through faith, through trusting in Jesus Christ. Not by works. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Because if we did it by works, we'd get up to say, Yeah, hey, remember all that stuff I did? Yeah, I know why I'm here. You know, 
Pride doesn't get us anywhere, except uh, leads to fall, to a fall. Um, we're saved by grace through faith, and, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If it was by works, if it was by leading a perfect life, how many of you would be there? Because that's the, that's the requirement, right? That's the standard. The standard is perfection. Perfection in every possible way imaginable. How many of you would get there? Go ahead and dare to raise your hand because everybody's eyes are open right now. I said that to my family. I said, you know, none of us will be there. They, they know that only too well. But look at verse 10. He says, for... We are God's workmanship. And that word workmanship is the Greek word poema, which is where we get our English word poem. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see that? So we're not saved by works, but we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So, so get out there and do something. But not only that, look what he says. He says, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we don't even have to, like, think up what they are. Well, what am I supposed to do? Let me come up with a good plan and a good, you know, strategy and scheme. No, what we need to do is we need to pray and we need to say, God, what is it that you have prepared in advance for me to do? What, have, what, what is in my life and heart that you have given me that you want me to get involved in and do? You see... When we don't do it that way, sometimes we end up doing things that we shouldn't do because they're for somebody else. But we think, you know, well, I'd like to be like so-and-so or like so-and-so over there, and we try to do things. We try to fit ourselves into someone else's shoes, and it doesn't work, does it? When, when David was going to fight Goliath, right? You remember the story? He went, he was getting ready to go, and, and Saul... King Saul said what? Here, put on my armor, right? You remember the story? And so he, he puts all, you know, he tries it on. He says, you know what? This is not going to work. I can't even move. He could have said, well, you know, I'll just, you know, I want to be like King Saul or whatever and went ahead and, and, and went on to do it. But no, he, he said, you know what? Can't do it. Can't do it. And he got out his what? His little sling and his stones things that he was familiar with, things that, that had been part of his life, and, and he got those things, and, you know, the rest is history. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're created to do these good works, but they aren't what saves us. And so we go back to Matthew 25, and we see these things that he's talking about here. Notice what, what he's saying. He's talking about someone who's hungry, and you're giving them something to eat. Someone's thirsty, giving them something to drink. Someone who's a, a stranger, reaching out to a, a stranger. Needed, someone who needs clothes. Someone who's sick. Someone who's in prison. These are things, certainly, that every one of us are able to do. Every one of us are able to do. Someone said this, this list describes acts of mercy people can do every day. 
These acts do not depend on wealth or ability or, or intelligence. They are simple acts freely given and freely received. No special talent is needed. Jesus demands our personal involvement in caring for others' needs. He says this parable is not teaching salvation by good deeds, but evidence of salvation through good deeds. Someone else said that he, he looked at this list and he says, he, he summed it up like this. Number one, it was help in simple things, which anyone can do. And secondly, help which is uncalculating, that you, you weren't doing it with something in mind, but you were just doing it. Every one of us could do that. C.H. Spurgeon, the great preacher from England uh, in the last century, said this, here is a good searching question for a man to ask himself as he reviews his past life. Have I written in the snow? Will my life work endure the lapse of years and the fret of change? Has there been anything immortal in it which will survive the speedy wreck of things under the sun or under the moon? He said, the boys inscribe their names and capitals in the snow and in the morning's thaw, the writing disappears. Will it be so with my work or will the characters that I have carved outlast the brazen tablets of history? Have I written in the snow? Is that, is that all I've done, just written in the snow and it's just melted away? Or is there something that comes out of my life? I like that little saying that says, you know, just one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What are we doing? Are we about the Father's business? Again, not to be saved, but because we are saved, but because we, we have an inheritance to look forward to. We, we are blessed and we have eternal life to look forward to, so we, we give of ourselves here in this life to people around us. The hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, those needing clothes, those sick, those in prison. Every one of us can do something to help someone in these areas of need. Another interesting thing about this, though, is that Jesus, in these verses, he, he identified himself with those people. Did he not? He said, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. He says, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. I needed clothes. I was sick. I was in prison. You came to visit me. He identified himself with each of these. And, and, you know, it's not just that we do that to minister to Jesus, which is true, but also the fact that Jesus himself identifies with those people in need. He has a heart for the people in need. He identifies himself with them. I don't know that he's identifying himself all that much with the American Idol or the sports hero, or God forbid, the Boston Bruins. Oh. I was going through security in the, you know, airport in San Diego, and the guy looks at my license, and he says, oh, Boston Bruins. I said, oh, what? <laughs> I don't have a clue. Now, if you said NASCAR, Jesus identifies him. No, I'm sorry. 
See, we got it, we got it missed. Mixed, we got it all mixed up, all messed up. The, the, the things that we think about are, are so important. And Jesus is identifying himself with the someone who's hungry. Man. I read these, these uh, quotes, and uh, they're kind of interesting. I don't know if I buy it all, but it says that uh, there were two men who found this parable blessedly true. One was Francis of Assisi. He says he was rich and he was wealthy and he was high-born and high-spirited, but he was not happy. He felt that life was incomplete. Then one day he was out riding and he met a leper, loathsome and repulsive in the ugliness of his disease. He says something moved Francis to dismount and fling his arms around this wretched sufferer. And lo, in his arms, the face of the leper changed to the face of the Christ. Interesting. I don't know if it's true or not. We don't know, but interesting to think about. The other was a man named Martin of Tours. He was a Roman soldier and a Christian. It says, one cold winter day as he was entering a city, a beggar stopped him and asked for alms. Martin had no money. But the beggar was blue and shivering with cold, and Martin gave what he had. He took off his soldier's coat, worn and frayed as it was, and he cut it in two and gave half to the beggar man. And that night he had a dream. And in it he saw the heavenly places and all the angels and Jesus in the midst of them. And Jesus was wearing half of a Roman soldier's cloak. One of the angels said to him, Master, why are you wearing that battered old cloak? Who gave it to you? And Jesus answered softly, My servant Martin gave it to me. Isn't that interesting? But the reality of what we do for people around us because of who we are. Verse 37 says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? When did we see you? Hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you in sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. They were surprised. They were not doing it so they could get something out of it. And God forbid that we should ever do anything so that we can get something out of it, get some brownie points in heaven. But, but rather that we just do it because, because God has blessed us and we can bless the people around us. We are the richest country on earth, and yet there are people around us that are hurting, that are starving, that are in need. And what can we do? They weren't doing it to get something. But Jesus said, you did it for me. Verse 41, we've got to move along and, and, and get to the other side of this, of this teaching because it, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty radical. In verse 41, then he, say, then he will say to those on his left who would be the goats, he says, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He says to those on his left, the first thing he says is, Depart from me and compare that to what he says to those on his right. He says, Come. Enter. And those on his left, he says, depart from me. And it's this idea of separation, separation from God for eternity and for eternity. 
He says, you are cursed. The other one was blessed. He says, to go into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, the fire of hell. I read a quote by Ravi Zacharias about hell, and he said these words, hell is sobering. And he said, when I asked Billy Graham, I was asked by Billy Graham to deal on this theme, I was not sure I was qualified. He says, it is one of the most solemn truths in all of the word of God. As I prayed and studied, I was reminded of what Robert Dale once said, the only man I can listen to preaching on hell is D.L. Moody. He says, because I have never heard him talk of it without breaking down and weeping. This place called hell. It's not a funny thing. It's very, very serious. But notice what Jesus said here about hell, about the eternal fire, that it was prepared who? Prepared for who? Prepared for the devil and his angels. That's who it was prepared for. It was not prepared for man. One man said, the loving judge and king of the kingdom does not will that any should perish, but men make their own choices as to where they shall go. He didn't prepare it. You see, the heart of God is that we would be, come and, and join him, be with him forever and ever. That's what his desire is. Second Peter 3.9 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why? So that we could be with him in eternity forever and ever. Verse 42, for I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. The evidence of a goat here in this passage is not serving others, being so self-centered, caring only about ourselves and what I need, what I want, what my future is. These were surprised as well, but I think they were more surprised that they didn't deserve more. Finally, verse 46 says, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. They will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. We see these two things here. We see the sheep and the goats, but we see eternal punishment and eternal life, eternal death and eternal life, two destinies. But what did Jesus say? What did it say in John 3.16, the most well-known verse in all of Scripture? For God so loved, what, the world that what? Some of you are remembering and some of you are not remembering <laughs> that he gave his one and only son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. 
We can't be ashamed of that verse. That's one of the most powerful. That's why it's the most well-known, because it's one of the most powerful verses that, that says that God loves the human race, and He wants us to have eternal life. He, he does not want us to be in eternal punishment, but you and I make the choice to believe in Him. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's just the, that's, that's the dividing line between the sheep and the goats. It's not what we do. We do because of the decision and the choice that we've made. That affects who we are. My life has been changed because of a decision that I made to surrender to Jesus Christ, to give Him my life, to ask Him into my life, and my life has completely changed. There was a, a gal at the memorial service I hadn't seen. She, we grew up in the neighborhood. I hadn't seen her. Actually, there was two gals there, and, and, and one I hadn't seen for years, and one was the sister of my, uh, my uh, brother's wife. And they, they look at me like, what happened to you? And, like, do I look that bad? No, and what they were saying was like, you're, di you're different from... And I said, it's only Jesus in my life, you see. There's, no, there's nothing inherently good in me that made me any different. But Jesus in me has made the difference. God so loved the world. God loves you. And God loves me. We see these, these, these two categories. One, the... On the right, the sheep, and on the left, the goats. The, those on the right, he says, come and enter. Those on the left, he says, depart from me. On the right, he says, you are blessed by my Father. On the left, you are cursed. On the right, you have an inheritance waiting for you. On the left, he says, eternal fire. On the right, they were surprised to learn that, that anything was going to come of the way they lived. On the left, they were surprised that nothing did come of the way they lived. On the right is eternal life. On the left is eternal death, eternal punishment. When you hear these kind of two side by side, you say, well, you know, is there even a choice? Like, what would you choose? Right? When you see them side by side, well, duh. Like, I'm going to choose that over there. But is that what happens? No. It says in John chapter 3, right after, a couple of verses after John 3, 16, verses 19 through 20, he says, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. There's just something about just loving the darkness that keeps us from surrendering to the light. May it not be for you and for me, though, that we would love the light, we would come to the light knowing that we're full of darkness, but that light can drive out the darkness and make a difference in my life and in your life. I hope today that you have settled that decision, made that decision once and for all, that you know that Jesus Christ came to the earth, that he died upon that cross for your sins, and that as you trust in him, your life can be changed. And that you will have an eternity, an inheritance with Him forever and forever. Don't leave this place not knowing where you will spend eternity. 
Again, this is the last teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. We now move into the last few days of his life, the, the, you know, the suffering and the cross and the resurrection all found there in those last three chapters of Matthew. But the teaching is, you know, what, what is it? Are you going to be a sheep or are you going to be a goat? You know, I was thinking about this too, that, you know, sheep really aren't that smart, really, and... and uh, I think maybe goats think they're smarter. They're not, but they think they are, but sheep are just plain dumb, right? I mean, so there's something in that too, you know, thinking, you know, well, do I just want to be a sheep that just doesn't, you know, just follows after Jesus? Or I, I pretty much got it together. I'm going to keep my own life, you know, I'm going to run my own life, be the master of my own life, go around butting people, you know, doing whatever I want to do, eating paper and all kinds of dumb stuff like that. You think you're so smart as a goat, but you're really not. Because they do they eat anything, right? You go to those petting zoos. I've been to a few of those, and they just want to eat your clothes, and they want to eat everything you have in your hands. And, and the sheep, they just sort of lay there. But there is no middle ground. There's no such thing as a shoat or a, or a geep. You've got to be one or the other, right? There's no middle ground. Through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the King, who will sit on that throne in glory. Last thought I want to leave you is something that I heard years and years ago, is that this idea of, of what comes out of our lives. It says, if we were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us. If we were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? Good question. Let's pray.